Geek Top 5, Season 5. I'm so happy you're here. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> this is so exciting. Geek Top 5. I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And we are rolling up in our chairs and yelling at people to get off our front lawn and asking if you damn kids ever heard what a... Ever heard. That's good. And asking <laughs> if you damn kids ever heard of what a video game arcade was. So you've already seen the uh, the, the title, No Need to Bury the Lead. Um, back when Graham and I were young, we had to go outside to find other places that had video games. Um... Uh, but no, I think everyone's at least remotely familiar with the concept of a coin-operated video arcade, right? It hasn't been that long. Yeah, they are making a bit of a comeback, although I think coin-operated is going away. Now they're card-operated, but they're they're all over the place. Even a lot of movie theaters have them in their, their front hall. Yeah, certainly in Toronto, we've got that big Cineplex project downtown, the Rec Room, that sort of takes the concepts of older amusement centers like a Dave and Buster's and brings them into the 20th century. Um, the idea basically being that there's lots of cool, unique video game experiences that, at least back in the day, you couldn't have at home, so you went out to find them, and that, frankly, was a real formative part of both of our childhoods. And uh, we wanted to bang them up against each other today and see who had the best childhood. Was it me or Graham? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. I think the other thing about arcades is that when we were kids anyway, it was the, I feel like, the dying tail end of the, the arcade. They were There were fewer and fewer of them, and the ones that did exist were on their way out while we were growing up. So they, I, I don't think we're peak arcade so we're gonna have some some interesting choices i think yeah the ar arcades definitely peaked in the like early to mid 80s which you know by some definitions we were around for but certainly not in a you know in a place where we would be able to get a high score or, or you know have basic motor control um but it was the i think there's gonna be a lot of 90s and early aughts arcades which is a really interesting time for it um Dueling lists, I've got five, Graham's got five. I expect there may be overlap of one or two, but otherwise, I think this is just going to be a lot of, here's something cool from my childhood, and uh, we'll see which one works out best. And I will say that I, arcades were never my favorite thing, my favorite video games, because arcades lend themselves to shooting, well, first-person shooters, although I don't, I, would be surprised if either of us have many of those on the list. Beat 'em ups and f straight up fighting games, and I have never been good at straight up fighting games, and that was like the thing to do at, at arcades. So let's just put that on the table from the get go. It's going to be an interesting duel, I think. <laughs> so basically, you've already surrendered. Like we could save ourselves an hour of recording if you just no, want no. to say. I think my number one is going to trans everything else, so I'm I'm not giving up that easily. Okay, all right. Well, why don't you start with your number five, and uh, let's see uh, let's see what weird tactical strategy you're bringing to this duel. <laughs> My number five is Turtles in Time. Oh, man. it's I thought a lot about it, but I didn't end up putting it on my list. But I, I totally respect that decision, and I'm, I'm surprised it's that low on your list, frankly. Well, you know, after talking with you a little bit when we were sort of trading ideas about this list, like what it could be... Uh, you know, you you pointed out that 
the version of the game that I think is most burned into my brain is the Super Nintendo version. And and there are differences between them, different levels and different, a uh, slightly different gameplay. But I will say, whenever I saw this arcade game, it was it, it drew me like a siren call. You know, I had to go and play it, or at least stand around and watch someone else play it. And there's, as with so many arcade games, there's variations on them. But I think my the one that I remember most were ones where you could have four players and each. There was a, a there were four stations that you could stand around at the arcade machine, and uh, one would be for Donatello, one for Raphael, one for Leonardo, and one for Michelangelo. So it was sort of like you, you didn't just pick one spot and then choose your character. You had to get to the right spot to get the character you wanted before anyone else did. And with the Ninja Turtles, that was especially important because while they did play differently, it was also about personality. Everyone had their favorite Ninja Turtle, the one they identified with and had to be. So for me, it was like I had to be Michelangelo. And if I couldn't be Michelangelo, then there's like no point in me playing the game. <laughs> that's that, that that's harsh, but uh <laughs> but but I get it. Yeah, it was Donnie for me, but I mean I would have been happy to play as Leo, like if you know, I think I would have I would have made accommodations. Look, if I'm putting a hard-earned quarter into this machine, I better be the character I want to be. When I'm playing Unlimited Lives at home on the Super Nintendo, I'll play around, I'll experiment with a little Raphael, I'll try out a Susan of Donatello, but when I have one quarter to play one game, it's going to be Michelangelo. Fair, fair. All right, so tell us a little bit about Turtles in Time. It's a side-scrolling beat-em-up. You're walking across the screen, the screen with your weapons, and you're beating up foot soldiers or whoever. And the the twist on this one is that Krang and Shredder have a portal that's causing time warps, and the S- Statue of Liberty disappears, and the turtles go to investigate and end up getting sucked back in time. And each level, you're in a different time period, so the whole feel of the game changes, at least on a cosmetic level. You start off in the prehistoric times, then you're like on a old west train eventually you end up in the distant future and you're riding on these surfboards in in space and uh it was just neat it was a, a neat way to see to, to have it change the gameplay stays the same and you get better and better as you play and learn the the moves but cosmetically it's not just like the same alleys looping over and over it's it's everything is different and there's different twists on your favorite characters like the old west foot soldiers will have cowboy hats and it's just it was a fun narrative especially for a kid who liked superhero stuff and comic book stuff and also liked when there was alternate dimension twists on those things like the age of apocalypse or whatever Man, I didn't really think put that much thought into it, but you're right. The the variety in stages really helped that game a lot. It made it so that as much as you wanted to play to win, you also kind of wanted to play to see what happened next. Yeah, yeah. You know, the other Ninja Turtle games on, on various systems, you're just generally wandering around New York City, and they'll change the environment. Sometimes you're on the beach, or sometimes you're wherever. You're, you're in Manhattan versus Harlem or something like that, but it's always just present-day New York City, and this adds a new flavor every round. 
He had a lot of fond memories with that, but I think, like you said in your opening, I mean, the best memories I have with Turtles in Time really was the Super Nintendo version, and it was a very different game. It had more stages. It had more to do. The art style was different. Uh, It was limited to two players, which was a shame, but uh, I think that's ultimately what kicked it off my list is that I definitely did play the stand-up arcade machine, but I preferred the one at home. Uh, which is kind of rare and silly, but maybe that's representative of the era, that, you know, the arcade era that we grew up in. Um, at the end of the day, I mean, here, perfect example. They remade the game in the like for Xbox 360, I think, and they made it based on the arcade version, not the Super Nintendo version. And I was disappointed playing it that a lot of the mm. stuff I wanted there wasn't actually there. Right? It felt like less. I could play it with friends, you know, if, like, it had the four people restored, but. But yeah, I think SNES was where uh, was where that game really shone, and that's why it uh, it fell off my list. And I guess that's why it's your five. And I do think that there is uh, something obviously special about the game, something that has stuck in the hearts of fans, the fact that it has been remade and there are so many ports of it and versions of it through the years. It's not uh, so many arcade games just die in the arcade once that ca- cabinet is done. You never think about it again. There aren't remakes of a lot of arcade games, but this has stood the test of time. Fair. I would. I would love to see a modernized version of the Super Nintendo one. I'd. Uh, I'd pay thirty or forty bucks for that as a DLC package for sure. Hmm, wow. Okay. What's your number five? My number five. Uh, I am flashing back to nostalgia. Uh, my number five is Killer Instinct, or as it was more often rendered, Killer Instinct. Uh, This was 1994. It was released by Midway. Uh, This is when those fighting games, those one versus one 2D uh, versus modes, were basically the entire world of fighting games were dominated by Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat. Those were the two you could get. And for some reason, um, these guys at Rare... And looping Midway and Nintendo into it, they said, we want a piece of that pie. And they made this new franchise called Killer Instinct. So so first off, that's where the bias comes in for sure. I think we were both Nintendo guys growing up, and this was something Nintendo had invested heavily in. So all the like Nintendo Power magazines and Nintendo commercials and advertisements, they were really leaning into Killer Instinct. This was definitely a little media manipulation. But... When the game came out, it was really cool. It it is not as obviously not stood the test of time because no one's seen it for a while, not since 20, 2013. But back in 1994, it was a it was just different enough from those other fighting games. It it, it sort of dropped the usual like best of three structure and instead sort of had a two. A, Basically, each character had two life bars, and it mean meant basically you needed to husband your resources a lot more carefully. And it also introduced their ridiculous combo system, which I consider to be the, like, godfather of modern-day video games sort of affirmation-based design. Like, everything you do has a firework effect or a pleasing ding or a number goes up. (laughs) This game... So we'll get more into fighting games as this list goes on, I'm sure. But, you know, you press buttons on the control pad. There's a button for punch and a button for kick. But if you 
started to learn the character's moves. You would learn things like, you know, like forward punch, punch, and then low kick, and then a high kick, a series of moves that you could string together without the other guy interrupting it. Killer Instinct took this to a ludicrous degree, or uh, it was very easy to get six, seven, eight hit combos, but players who knew what they were doing against players who didn't know how to break out of it could get those rare ultra combos, which were in excess of 50, 60, 70 hits. So when you're playing this game, I mean, for starters, it's kind of neat because you have all this committed to memory. Like, I want to do forward punch, punch, kick back, forward punch. And once that starts to land, you sort of have to keep it up. And so it's almost like a rhythm game in a way. And then as the player on the receiving end of that, you're trying to time it for the combo breakers. But then regardless of how well you do, there's always the narrator going, Ultra combo! Super combo! Great job! You're a good person! Basically, right? (laughs) Hearing that was just, like, it was immediate reward for when you were playing, and I loved that. In addition, it was like it was a fun universe, like a fun they set up. It's like a cyberpunk kind of thing, and your characters like you could be a big robot with claws, or a skeleton guy, or a werewolf, or a velociraptor. Like they threw a lot of logic and reason out the board, and just did like did rule of cool. And that's, I mean, you know, a, a robot with laser eyes and wolverine claws fighting a velociraptor. No 10-year-old boy in the world is going to be able to resist that. I think the the thing that with a lot of these fighting games, at least when I was a kid, I didn't really know there were stories behind them. It didn't matter to me. And so the fact that with Killer Instinct, they kind of threw that out the window for the sake of the having the coolest characters, that made it that much more uh, fun and notable compared to the other games. Now, point of order, like Turtles in Time, there was a Super Nintendo port of it. I mean, obviously, Nintendo. Um, but in this case, like the arcade version was clearly the superior one. You you lost graphics. You lost uh, sort of the like pseudo 3D effects that they had in the mid-90s back then. I loved going to the arcade to play Killer Instinct. Um, and I know if my parents saw how much blood effects there were in it, they definitely wouldn't have let me play. So there's an <laughs> element of that, too. Um, but it's just, I, like, it looks cool, it felt cool, it sounds cool. It has this really great soundtrack, this really grungy metal kind of... Uh, I'll see if I can drop a sample in here. Uh, it just, it, it was in a sort of the way you had that 90s era excess in comic books. They had that in this game, where everything was just cranked up to be, you know, extreme, spelled with three X's. Uh, and, uh, it, and it was super cool, basically. It is uh, it's not higher up on my list, because that one of the things that happens when you add too much, you know, super cool is that there's not a lot of substance. There's not a lot of meat on the bone at the end of the day. Um, this is not, it did not turn out to be one of the great fighting game franchises of all time. But it is so well targeted to 10-year-old boys. I just hats off to those guys. I know it's not necessarily in our mandate for this episode, but I just want to hear what the latest development was. Like, I, I remember in, in 2013, there was it was a launch title. There was a new version of Killer Instinct that was a launch title for the Xbox One. And wasn't the, the gimmick of that one, like, all the characters were DLC? Like, you could get the base game for free, but if you wanted specific characters, you had to pay for them? Yeah, yeah. It was launched as a very early microtransactions thing. There was, like, free characters would rotate weekly, and then you'd pay 
pay for the ones you want. Um, it didn't, I mean, it, yeah, that didn't take off. No one has done that since. It wasn't a great idea. <laughs> Nowadays, if you're looking for it, a killer instinct, like you can get it on Steam, for instance, and just buy it like it's a game, and you get all the characters and a bunch of fun bonus stuff. It's it's dated, especially in the era of sort of like NetherRealm Studios fighting games, which have these intricate like bonus modes and storytelling and stuff. It has none of that. It just has wild music and wilder characters. It is less problematic in its new <laughs> incarnation. I'll grant you that. You know, Orchid, the playable character back in 1994, whose purse like you know, there's a robot and a velociraptor. She was a girl. <laughs> and one of her like end of round moves is she turned her back to the camera and then like unzip her leotard and flash the other character like it was like and his uh, like b- head would explode or something no Wasn't no he just he, he'd just fall oh. down but still like <laughs> it's it wasn't great uh, the 90s video games did not treat women very well that gets cleaned up a lot in the newer version uh for, for sure it's you know what i still like that one i have it i play it sometimes if you're if this sounds like something you missed or that's it sounds like something would appeal to you give that one a shot it is available on steam on pc uh probably on xbox console still but i can't verify that for you uh but for purposes of this podcast that was just a really cool arcade game all right, yeah. Uh, I don't remember playing it in the arcade. I remember playing some of the console versions, but again, fighting game never never clicked with me. Uh, I just wasn't good at them, and I didn't have the patience to memorize the, the button combos, and so I just got bored of it pretty quickly. That's, that's my two cents. Doesn't have to be for everybody. <laughs> All right, my number four. Uh, it, I'm going to take you back uh, several decades to the Centerpoint Mall in, uh, I guess it was, it's Toronto or North York at the time. And the, the, uh, upstairs, there was a place where you could pay money and dump your kids while you go and do your shopping at the Bay or whatnot. And I think it was called JJ's and they had activities that you could do and you could even rent the place out for birthday parties. There was like a little enclosed trampoline or something, a ball pit. But for slightly older kids, the main draw was the arcade machines that didn't require quarters. It was rigged so you could just stand there and it was free and you could play. And so that was the like the only time I've played an arcade game from beginning to end. And that one was Superman, a 1988 arcade game. I don't think I have ever played a Superman arcade game. I, it's sort of weird that there aren't more. It's fascinating. Tell me more. Okay, so it's, again, a side-scroller beat-em-up, but it's not exclusively side-scrolling. Every There's five levels, and every level there are um, multiple modes within it. it start, a level would start off with side-scrolling. You're, you're jumping or walking or hovering around and fighting bad guys as they appear and shooting them with your laser eyes. And then it'll switch to a vertical mode. So you fly up. You're like flying up the side of the building and things attack you. And then there's a final boss and you shoot your heat vision. But it goes through that for five levels. And um, it's it's kind of basic, as I recall. It's not that thrilling. I think the, the conceit of the, the multiple modes within a level is what changes it up. There aren't many beat-em-ups where you fly or where you go vertical even. like Like there are games where you will have a flying or hovering character, but it's still a horizontal plane. There's only so high up that you can go. So in order to fully fully 
take advantage of the Superman character, they had to change things up. And I remember you flying up like the, the side of the Empire State Building. You're going up as opposed to across and bad guys would come at you from the sides of the screen. It's just a neat twist on the side scroller. And the one thing about it that really stuck in my mind and, and it's never really explained, but it is a two player game. And the second player is also Superman, except his costume is red. That's how you would differentiate. And the color scheme, it's just a palette swap, but the color scheme is really uh, reminiscent of Captain Marvel. I'm, look at, I'm looking at Google Images right now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, though, this back in you know, your day when you had memory limits on video games and stuff, like the second player was just the, like, it was the same model. It was the same character, but with a palette swap. They would just load different colors. That's the origin of Mario and Luigi. Clearly, they've done that here. I wonder if they thought ahead, though, because that is exactly Captain Marvel. Shazam, yeah. Captain Marvel, not uh, right. Brie Larson, Captain Marvel. <laughs> Carol Danvers, Captain Marvel. Uh, but when, you know, when I was a kid, I was very much a comic book fan, more on the side of Marvel than DC, and I didn't, I wasn't as enthralled with Captain Marvel as I would grow to be, but I knew enough about him that I, that it was weird for there to be sort of a Captain Marvel type character in this game, and also fascinating, and I just loved the idea of it being a Superman Captain Marvel game, even though that's not what it is. It is just Superman, and that is not supposed to be Captain Marvel, but they never explain who that character Character is you're just two Superman and maybe it's like a weird red kryptonite effect and you got a second <laughs> Superman going but it's player two yeah so know, that's that, that this is amazing like I had a complete blind spot for this I had no <laughs> idea this existed and it looks like a blast yeah yeah when I I think it was a friend's younger brother's birthday at this place, and I got to go and tag along and keep that friend entertained, and the two of us just went to that arcade machine, pressed the button that gave you, like, as many lives as possible, and we just played that game from beginning to end over the course of that birthday party. It was great. Good memory, but also genuinely looks like a fun game. Yeah, yeah, and it's one of those things that's sort of lost to time. It's it's an arcade game very much of that era. There, as far as I know, weren't any home video game ports of it so when that they stopped uh, shipping that game out when when arcades got rid of it it was gone cool it you know what it's reminding me of is the super nintendo the the death and return of superman game that very clearly borrowed a lot from this hmm. i mean like i like do that's, remember that game that's a side-scrolling beat-em-up and that's a good one um, but it, it, it is definitely inspired by some of the stuff I'm seeing here. It's, 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 this is cool. It's like seeing the, the prologue for something I never knew existed. <laughs> it's also the closest thing we're going to get to a Shazam arcade game. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I mean, I, you know, longtime fans of the podcast know that if there's two things Graham likes, it's talking <laughs> apes and Shazam. Uh, and sometimes on very special days, those two meet, but not often. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> okay, Superman. Dang. All right. I learned something here today. How about that? Woohoo. All right. What's your number four? Okay. My number four sounds dumb. It really does. And Good I, start. And I don't i just it was just a like the short version is it was a really good game but for some reason konami the japanese company in 1991 
released The Simpsons arcade game. (laughs) And this is one of my favorite arcade games of all time. Now, you know The Simpsons, a long-running television show about four family members who travel from stage to stage beating people up and having adventures and conquering monsters, right? Yeah, I love them. Right? It's so weird. (laughs) Who said we need a Simpsons beat-em-up arcade game? But they did. They set up through these, like, as best... I mean, it was, isn't it, the art style is pretty close to The Simpsons, but this was 1991. Graphics and you know, video games weren't what they could be, but as close as they could, we see, I think it's Smithers steals a diamond, or he's acquired a diamond for Mr. Burns, and while he's fleeing the scene, he collides with The Simpsons, and Maggie ends up substituting the diamond for her pacifier. And so Smithers takes Maggie and runs, and the Simpsons family has to travel through Springfield, battling Mr. Burns' goons and fighting Smithers and his wacky inventions and costumes to save the day. And it's great! <laughs> it's, it's so crazy, but it's... And that's not just me. This is, according to the research I've done, this was one of the top three best-selling video game machines in 1991. Lots of people loved this. This was the star of a Chuck E. Cheese when I was a kid. (laughs) It's also amazing that The Simpsons, as a show, started in 1989. So this is like only two, three years into that that show's endless run, and they already got this arcade game. That's pretty cool. It's wild. It sounds like like there's something wrong with the timeline. Um, it was a beat 'em up, four players, a lot like Turtles in Time. Each station was uh, oh no, I'm sorry, that it's you know, it's the same thing as Turtles in Time. You had some two player machines and some four player machines with the built in stations, probably identical hardware to the Turtles in Time machine. Come to yeah. think of it, each and you could be you know, Marge or Homer or Lisa or Bart, and each one controlled a little bit individually. Like Homer punches and quit and kicks, Marge swings a vacuum cleaner because of course. Uh, of course. Bart, Bart has his skateboard. Lisa has a jump rope. Uh, and you go you know, through these stages and you battle your enemies and go through. But there was also a lot of like there were opportunities to do like double team attacks. Like if I'm playing as Bart and you're playing as Lisa, like you could get the characters close together and perform a unique like you know, jump rope combined with skateboard attack. So different characters could do different combined things, which was interesting. Um, I I think it's Homer can put one or maybe both of the kids on his shoulders and then you can attack at two different heights at the same time. Like there was a, like there was a lot of variety and a lot of look the people who were making this video game were really good at making video games. I mean Konami, they're a big company. The fact that they made the Simpsons arcade game I mean, I, it must have been purely a marketing decision, and I guess that actually explains the Chuck E. Cheese. Do we need to explain Chuck E. Cheese? <laughs> I think it, Chuck E. Cheese still exists. Charles Entertainment Cheese is a going concern. Okay, so I just, I mean, even that sounds insane. It's, it's a rat-themed pizza restaurant <laughs> with a ball pit, some arcade machines, and terrifying animatronics. So There's probably a whole podcast in there. And but, a lot of, like, foot-and-mouth disease. Oh yeah, well, all kind of disease. Period. That was, uh... but for a few years in the like you know the like the late single digits, early double digit age, everybody's birthday party was at Chuck E. Cheese, and you know at that age, like kids all know each other because they're all going to school. So poor mom and dad had to basically ended up driving you to Chuck E. Cheese like at minimum once a month. 
and you'd dump all the kids in there and fill them full of pizza and soda, and we'd all gather around the Simpsons arcade machine, because The Simpsons was such a funny show, and we didn't pick up on the cognitive dissonance of playing as Homer Simpson and beating up a whole bunch of people. And just weird Springfield stuff. One of the bosses was like this constantly inflating Krusty the Clown balloon. It just so it, weird. It's so weird. It's I feel like it has to have been a video game that was developed like and then the like the you know the aesthetics was applied later. <laughs> like if that game was just like a random like space hero game, it would have been a really cool arcade game about space heroes, but they really Simpsonsified it. And there are little cutscenes and little different things that happen and lots of recognizable locations. You know, you're, uh, clearly you're battling the entire time to get to the nuclear power plant and the final battles against Mr. Burns and like a like a tank suit kind of thing. It doesn't make any sense why you would be doing that as the Simpsons, but they saw an opportunity to market this day this game to kids and boy did i put a lot of my dad's quarters into that machine so hey it worked <laughs> yeah i i do remember it being around it didn't make my list uh i because i just don't remember playing it that much uh, i i sort of remember it being hard and and dying quickly with it uh and it was the the art style is very much going for early Simpson style, which is a very unpolished look, especially compared to modern Simpsons. And I think I found it kind of off putting on that level in the back of my head. Like, I don't know that I would have been able to articulate it, but something about it was just weird and gross. Yeah. <laughs> and that's that's all I could think of as far as that game goes. Yeah, you watch those first couple of seasons, there there are some marked differences. Like, in, the, in the animation style, and even in the performance of the characters. Um, but I, I don't know. It's it just it was it, it was a really great game. And as I get older and older, I recognize how bizarre the premise is. Um, I don't know if I would buy a you know a version of that again. I mean I that certainly I doubt it's available in any arcade anymore. Whatever licensing agreement they had must have expired by now. Occasionally these games show up again at places like the Xbox store and stuff. I don't know if I'd do it again for the Simpsons, but at the time it was just perfectly timed. It was a perfect combination of a good game and a good aesthetic to it that it just really appealed to me. Um, And again, not just me, it sold like hotcakes. Uh, they made a ton of money off of this thing. It is so weird. All right. Well, hey, that's uh, yeah, that's The Simpsons. What's your number three? My number three is the six-player X-Men arcade game. The six-player X-Men did not make it on my list. But as it's soon a, as you said Centerpoint Mall, <laughs> damn, is that what I was thinking of? Now, I haven't been to that mall in 20 years I have no idea, but but back in my day, uh, Centerpoint Mall had a movie theater, and that movie theater had like six arcade machines in it, because if you had a movie theater, you had to have arcade machines in the 90s, and one of them was six-player X-Men, so as soon as you said Centerpoint, that's what I was thinking of. Is that the same one you're thinking of? Is that the one you played? Uh, it must have been, I, I do know it was at a movie theater, I can't remember if it was there at the promenade, and I also feel like it was such a popular arcade machine, you would see it in a lot of places, and part of the reason for its popularity wasn't necessarily to do with the, the X-Men or the franchise or whatever, but it was the fact that it had two screens, and that 
was like revolutionary when as far as i remember like it always made it stand out versus the other arcade machines i mean you needed that many for all the people i mean it had six sticks six sets of buttons like that was a a complex busy machine yeah again a side-scrolling beat-em-up it's from 1992 it's a basic x-men versus the brotherhood of evil mutants and magneto plot um, but what is kind of interesting about it in retrospect is that it's based on a failed pilot from years before. The, Wait, what? The, yeah, yeah. There was an X-Men animated series pilot that was made years before the X-Men animated series that we know and love. And it was called Pride of the X-Men. And the characters that made up the X-Men team in that were Cyclops, Dazzler, Storm, Nightcrawler, Colossus, and Wolverine. AKA all of the playable characters in this game. Gotcha. Not Kitty Pride though. They didn't. It's in the uh, title. She's she's the the whole pilot is she's joining the the X Men, but she's gotcha. I mean, and gotcha. she is in the game, but she isn't. Uh, she isn't a full fledged member of the team in that first episode. It also I have seen this uh, pilot multiple times, and that theme song isn't quite as good as our favorite X-Men theme song, but it is up there, and it makes that series or that show so good, and I can understand why they would want to make a video game based even just around that opening sequence. But it's a fun game. Side-scroller beating up, you you can play with six people, which is very unusual. Like, four people is usually the max, so to have six is cool. They all have different powers. Um, I think one of the things that hurts the game though is that in order to use your powers you have to sacrifice health and that sort of breaks the entire concept of the x-men characters and superheroes in general that's one of the things i've had a hard time with playing superhero video games because like if you're playing a, a superman game and he gets shot and he loses health from it it's like well that that's not how superman works a bullet doesn't hurt him so that has always bothered me on a on a narrative level. And I mean, I had but, that... but it's a video game. Like there has to be some element of challenge to it. Like you can't I... just play as Cyclops with his visor open, just casually strolling down the street of villains. You know, I fully agree. But it feels like I don't know. It just doesn't feel true to the characters, and that's. As a comic book nerd, that's important to me. And when you break that element of it, it makes the the uh, it loses some of that appeal to me. And I have a feeling that you're going to have stuff higher on your list that we will talk about it. I could be wrong, but we we may get to it later. Uh but yeah, it, it, the fact that Nightcrawler can use his teleporting power and go zooming across the screen and take out multiple enemies, but in order to do so, he's he's injured or diminished is kind of disappointing and that he has to rely on just like punching people all the time isn't true to that character that said if you just take the game on a a fully just having a good time with your friends there's nothing better and it's it's a a, they've had multiple ports of that too and for at one point you could even get a mobile app version of it but it's taken off the stores. I know you can't get it anymore, which is disappointing. I, when I read about that, I was like, I would pay three dollars for this game on my phone. It, it's it's a game that that has earned that kind of second life. So I'm gonna, I don't know. This may be controversial. Maybe it's something we have to talk about. I mean, I, I, I yeah, I like that game a lot too. I like the cheesy voice samples, even the poorly translated ones. This yes. is where we get X-Men Welcome to Die from. 
That's like, like that's just a great Magneto line. Um, I, 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 yes, it was such a cool looking machine, and the X Men were great, and uh, but I think the six players was too much, and I think there's a reason. Like, I think four is capped at a certain level of common sense. Because I remember playing that game and just losing all track of what was happening on screen. I like a, can't like, remember ever playing with a full six players. Oh man, that was the, the that was the like you'd hang out with kids you didn't even really like that much, but like for a chance to <laughs> to play, or maybe they were doing that to me. That's all. <laughs> uh, Anyway, but you'd like you'd five people. You're like, okay, look, we got five people for X Men. We got let's go find George. Is George around? Like, yeah, see if he wants to play X Men. He doesn't want. That's too bad. Make him play because we got to play with six players. So that was a thing. Like that was part of the draw. But man, did that screen get crowded? I, like the way these games worked back in those days is it would adjust the enemies for how many people were playing. And they were always overwhelming because the point of these games was to make you put as many quarters in as possible. But, you know, if you had one Ninja Turtle on screen, it would put three foot soldiers. If there were two Ninja Turtles, they'd have six foot soldiers, right? Like they'd sort of... So when you're playing with six X-Men, I just remember the screen getting flooded with those little mini Sentinels or whatever it was. And I just, like, it was just impossible to see what was going on. So maybe not as much of a debate, because you you never got that high. But even as a kid, I I, I didn't really acknowledge it, because it was just such a cool and fun and unique experience. But I, I, I don't know, at the, because of that feature, I don't know that it's actually that good of a game. I think that is a major design flaw. That's fair, and, and I can't argue that. I just know that when I was growing up, even, you know, I was predisposed to liking the X-Men. I loved that cartoon series. I liked the comic books. But whenever anyone I knew passed by an arcade and that thing was there, we were drawn to it. It was like a moth to a flame because it stood out so much from anything else. So it has a, a more powerful effect in my memory than other more generic uh, arcade games. The Yeah, the nostalgia is a major part of that for sure. The direct targeting of our you know, childhood hearts and parents' wallets, for sure. That, that's absolutely there. Um, I mean, and I guess in a way that's sort of exactly the same thing I had with including Killer Instinct, so I'm, I'm not knocking you for it. That's perfectly valid reason to have it on there, but uh, yeah, it didn't make my list because I, I don't think the actual game was that good. So we'll have to agree to disagree on that one, I think. Totally fair. What is your number three? My number three, uh, skipping ahead into the future a little bit, not as much as you... Well, it's... Man, years seemed like they went by a lot longer when that when we were that young. <laughs> uh, skipping ahead to 1998, my number three is Star Wars Trilogy Arcade, which was hands down the coolest Star Wars experience a person could have for like five or six years. Very good poll. Yeah. Trilogy Arcade was mostly an on-rails shooter or a tunnel shooter in the vein of games like Rebel Assault or Star Fox, uh, where like it's sort of like the ship is mostly flying itself. You're looking out through the front, um, but you adjust sort of where the guns are pointed and occasionally make a left or right decision. Mm-hmm. Um, but this game, what basically what it intended to do was put you in the cockpit for all the coolest battles of the Star Wars trilogy. 
Um, the basic levels, you had one from each movie. You had the Battle of Yavin, fighting the first Death Star for A New Hope. You had the Battle of Hoth, fighting like the Imperial AT-AT walkers for Empire. Um, the Battle of Endor on the Forest Moon, like the Ewoks and ATSTs for Jedi. And if you cleared all three, you could get to the Space Battle of Endor, the attack on the second Death Star, the climax of the classic trilogy. Also, a couple of really awkward interludes where instead of being in a ship, you were like you were playing Luke and like holding his lightsaber and the joystick, like you'd move the joystick left, he'd move the lightsaber left. Really didn't work, but you got to have a lightsaber duel with Darth Vader or like try to deflect Boba Fett's blaster shots. That was that was it was fine. Uh, what this did though was it took this was back again still when consoles. I, we're getting a lot better. We're at 1998. We're talking Nintendo 64 now, but they still didn't have like the graphics power, the processing power of a big upright, you know, modern arcade machine with dedicated hardware. So you'd come up to this machine, and if you were lucky, it was one of the ones like with a chair. You know, you would sit in the chair with the speakers in the back, and the music would sort of drown out the rest of the arcade, and you'd reach the joystick and just start shooting Tie Fighters and. Something about Star Wars has always been like for, you know, for the kid, like it's it's a fantasy for children. It's you want to be there, and this game was by far the coolest way to do it. Like I think the at home experience at the time was Shadows of the Empire for Nintendo sixty four. That was the best one they'd come up with. It was a fun game, but it was blocky and polygonal and slow. And this, you're in an X-Wing. You're zooming around Star Destroyers and blasting TIE Fighters. And it was fully voiced, which, yes, kids, that didn't always happen. <laughs> it took up a lot of memory and you needed to hire actors. But it was fully voiced, so you'd hear your wingmen calling out to you. It, like, it did a, a really great job of putting you into the Star Wars experience um, in a way that hadn't been done for a while. The fact that on top of that, like all those levels were super fun. There weren't there weren't exactly branching paths, but there were things like you could act quickly and like save a wingmate like from a tail. And if you did, he'd be around to help out later. You'd have like a help button to press and then come swooping in and clear some targets. Like it was fun for simulating the experience. And if you ever got bored of that, it was fun for just the score of it. You wanted to see how many TIE fighters you could down, how many ships you could save. That was a blast. It to this day, is one of my favorite Star Wars video games. And they've even made newer Star Wars arcade machines, but they just they haven't been able to hit that perfect immersion experience that this game had. Uh, yeah, I, I that it didn't really occur to me while I was researching, but now that you mention it, it definitely could have made my list. Probably lower on my list, but it would have made it. It was a lot of fun, and again, one of those things that drew you in and uh, you were a, a bit dismissive of the lightsaber battles, probably rightly so from a practical standpoint, but I remember that being one of the things I wanted to do. Like, it was cool doing the trench run. It was cool doing the, the uh, you know, knocking the AT-ATs over or whatever, but getting to use a lightsaber against Darth Vader was a game changer. It was something very different for an arcade game at the time. 
it was super cool. It was just incredibly silly to control with a joystick. <laughs> like they they had the thing like yeah. the, basically the arrows would appear on the screen and like and to tell you what direction to move and you had a certain amount of time to replicate the move. Like the arrow would point left and you'd have to throw the joystick to the left in time to to block Vader's swing, right? But yes. I, but a lot of places like they weren't really keeping up maintenance on the joystick, so that wasn't working. Or sometimes the the like up and down was inverted and sometimes it wasn't. Depending on where you were, so like you know, you'd the, the arrow would say up, and you'd push the lightsaber forward, or rather, you push the joystick forward, but the lightsaber would go down instead of up. It it was yeah, super cool. Everyone wants to have a lightsaber fight with Darth Vader, but uh, that those those weren't exactly the right controls for it. I really <laughs> do think that game really shone as it's you know as it's in its space battles. Yeah, that's fair. And it, but you're it was a very cool game and something that uh was memorable and whenever we were at Dave and Busters or something, that was one of the games you had to play. You used to be able to get these things where it was like free play for an hour. You'd have a card and you could play whatever of the, you know, non-gambling games that were there uh for free for that one hour that you from when you started. And that was one that had to be played at some point in that hour. Yeah. And they were everywhere. Like they yeah. were like those Dave and Buster's like entertainment centers. I think we were a little old for Chuck E. Cheese by then, but I'm sure they were there too. They were in movie theaters. They were like just they were everywhere. That was a really popular, really popular one. It was so good. And Star Wars was in sort of a weird place in those years, right? So like just that that way to interact with it was such a joy. Um it's uh it's it there's been no official re-release but you know those kinds of things are available on the high seas i have definitely <laughs> acquired one to play you know, on my computer with a controller and uh yeah you know what they've made cooler flight games since then but just that still makes me feel like i'm flying an x-wing and that is to this you know i'm turning 40 soon that is still something that like i have on my bucket list and it's a shame those don't really exist but i i've always wanted to fly an x-wing and this was one of the best ways of doing it cool all right well i'm gonna go to my number two but i have a feeling it it may be a joint round uh at some point soon uh i'm gonna say f0ax that is my number two (laughs) whoa okay i thought it might be your uh higher than that it's uh, not, but uh, but I yeah. I knew it would be on the list because as soon as that arcade machine was announced, it was like all you could talk about. Especially when you found out that it was there was going to be one of them at the arcade that was down the street from the university we were going to at the time. So I knew we were going to talk about it, and I knew it was going to be uh, high on your list because we had so much fun with it. Um, but you definitely took more advantage of it than I did. So why don't you give us the breakdown? Oof, okay, where to start? Um, F-Zero is a, a lesser-known Nintendo franchise. It's a racing game. The original came out on Super Nintendo in the West in 1991. It is uh, futuristic-themed in the kind of, like, neon, not cyberpunk, but, like, everything's bright and colorful sort of future. Um, you, you, and you race hover cars at super high speeds. Uh, it's never really caught on compared to other contemporaries like Nintendo's premier racer, Mario Kart. Mario Kart is much more accessible. It's it's arguably more fun to play. 
But F-Zero had this cool space age challenge to it. It was very much high reflexes and track memorization. Like you were going so quick, you had to know like, okay, next it's a left and then a right and then a hard right and then a left. They released it on Super Nintendo, they released one on N64, and then they had this dual release uh, for the Nintendo GameCube in 2003. They released F-Zero GX, still the best one, but also, for some reason... Has, has there been another one? There have been Game Boy Advance ones, mm. uh, but the franchise is is basically dead at this point. The only place you see it is uh, you know, Captain, Fa- yeah, Captain Falcon shows up in Smash Brothers, um, and over the course of DLC in the newest Mario Kart game, they added a couple F-Zero-themed tracks and some F-Zero parts. It, uh, it's like a tease. Yeah. In any case, though, the same time they released this game for GameCube, they, it also came out that they were making an arcade game, and it was a huge project. Um, it was sort of a business alliance between Nintendo and Sega and Namco, um, all big names in the industry. They, des- they designed basically an entirely new arcade board, like a new hardware that they wanted to, I assume, launch a whole bunch of arcade stuff on, and I don't know that they ever did. But for some reason, they released an F-Zero one. And I mean, okay, for starters, the unit itself, like big cabinet, big screen with, you know, big sound and stuff, but also this complete wraparound like enclosure almost. Like it had a chair, but it also went sort of up over your head and connected to the front cabinet and the wheel. So you had like a wheel and pedals and you were in this moving around like D-Box chair. To play this incredibly fast-paced, incredibly cool sci-fi racing game, it definitely made it much more immersive. Oh God, yeah. There's it. It's so much different. And like I've played racing arcade machines before, and the big thing that separates them from the home experience is the full setup, right? It's the pedals, for Pete's sake. I mean, back when I was growing up, it was like there was all, usually the shifter. Like, there's no reason to have that in a video <laughs> game. But if I, you hit the clutch and shift into fourth gear, and and it was really complicated for a nine-year-old, actually. But neither here nor there. Uh, being in the enclosure was great. We need to double back on that, because we got to talk more about F-Zero, the game. Short version, it's a great game. But they also did this thing, this poisonous thing. <laughs> Uh, a big part of F-Zero was customizing, like, your racer and that which character you were racing at and, like, the car you built out of parts. And some of the latest, like, the, the later parts and later characters in that GameCube one were next to impossible to unlock. It's like you had to play this game on the hardest difficulty and get the highest scores. Like It's the kind of thing that would require hours of training a day, the kind of thing that like piano virtuosos do. There was next to no way to do that unless you had very little life. But the Nintendo GameCube had memory cards, external memory cards, um, which was a big thing in video games for a while because they didn't want to package giant hard drives in these consoles. Uh, and it was advertised that, like, oh, you can take your memory card to your friend's house and you know, play your saves there. And it really was just a cost-saving thing on their part. But what you could do is you could take your GameCube memory card from home, plug it into this arcade machine, and as you used the characters and got the new parts and even raced on these new tracks, it would then save that data to the card and you could take them home and play them at home. 
So they just, like, magnified the experience. So, like, this cool game that you love, there's these cool, unique parts of it you can't normally get. Well, come on down to the arcade, try it in the coolest way to play this game possible, and then get to take home, like, a little loot bag, essentially. Right. And that that was one of the things that def- that made it stand out even more. There's so few arcade games of that type that you actually got something physical, something that you could bring home other than just memories or pride. There's more and more of that kind of thing these days, and like, it's all online now and stuff. But at the time, it it really coordinated the two experiences. And I, I, I want to bring that up because that was... Like uh, like Nintendo, always doing these crazy, weird new ideas that maybe catch on and maybe they don't. And that was a big part of it. But I don't want to overshadow that this was such a fun racing game. I mean, all the tracks are like, you know, suspended in midair above these like vast cities or like boiling oceans or something. There were so many like, different cars on the track doing different things that there was always sort of an adrenaline rush. Like, at no point are you just cruising. You're always trying to cut down some speed. There's always someone trying to overtake you. You're, you have, like, a nitrous boost. I mean, it's, I'm sure it's not nitro in the future. I'm sure it's tachyons or something. But, you know, you press the button, the big glowing blue button on the wheel, and you'd get a big boost of speed. But you had to time it right first because, like, you would go too fast. If there's a turn coming up, you hit that button, you'd smash into that wall for sure. But also, the boost drained the same meter as your health. The, you know, the structural integrity of your car. So if you really wailed on it, well, you'd have to play a perfect game after that. So there was this constant risk-reward of, like, how am I doing? Can I spare this much if I shields or whatever to go just a little bit faster? I know there's a big jump coming up. I'm going to use the boost then and try to jump over this part of the track entirely. And it's just so cool. I guess sort of the same way I was talking about earlier, how they targeted little kids with the Simpsons one. They targeted slightly older kids with this thing. I can't believe F-Zero isn't a bigger franchise than it is. Um, This arcade was wild, and it was rare, and we were so blessed (laughs) to have it near us. And when that arcade closed, they sold off all their machines. And I missed the sale. I missed the sale by like a week. Uh, I didn't hear about it in time. I, there was a, it was 2008 was a bad year for me. But I seriously would have considered talking to you guys of being like, look, if we pool our money, <laughs> like, it, it couldn't have been more than $1,000. Well, at that time, that would have been a lot of money, even divided by four for me. Yeah, it, it wouldn't have been practical, but I'd have thought about it. Uh, In any now, case, that's I've been on this for a while. I'm kind I mean, I know why it's on my list. I just made it clear. I'm surprised, though. I, I, I wasn't sure you were that big into it. I would love to hear how it hit number two on your list. I think it was it's a combination of, of playing with you and our other friends and, and it being such a, uh, a bonding thing that we had. We would go and take turns and watch each other play and give each other advice and uh get new stuff for, I think it must have just been your GameCube uh, version of the game. I don't think I had it on GameCube, but it was also getting the licenses. Like, you would press a button and it would print out a license that would have information about your character. So it was something personal that you would get to keep and take home with you and and have as memorabilia. I was going to say, do you have one of your licenses from this game anywhere? 
I definitely don't have any of those those little yeah. card things. No, I do remember them now that you're you're pointing it out to me. Uh, I don't really remember what they were for, uh, but I, I definitely carried one or two in my wallet for a while. But that was that was ways back. I can't. I, I want to say that it would be something that would you know you would put it in the next time you play and would remember where like the the pieces you'd unlocked and things like that. But I don't know if it was actually that sophisticated. I remember getting them. I don't fully remember how they worked. I know I was reading online that there was a way for you to input the information from it and get onto an early internet ranking board for it. Like it would be connect. You would actually be able to see how you ranked against everyone else who was playing it and uploading their stats based on the digits that were on that card yeah the Um, score i think is definitely the key the pieces and stuff were on the gamecube memory card for sure like i remember coming to the arcade bringing the car i had designed at home on gamecube right like like i had like i had spent a lot of time you know building exactly the one that i wanted like if the handling right like the the balance of acceleration versus top speed that kind of thing like i came into the arcade sort of already feeling comfortable with how to play because i had tweaked it that much <laughs> yeah, and so I I didn't have the game at home, so I didn't have that same uh, level of discipline or engagement with it that you did. But it was fun playing with you, and and we had another friend who was uh, living in Ottawa and going to school there at the time. And I remember when he came for a visit, we basically went, we picked him up from the bus depot and walked over to this arcade. And that was like the first thing he did back in the city was play this F-Zero game. So there's a lot of emotional connections uh, in connected with this game. Damn, yeah. Wow. No, that uh, those are memory files I haven't accessed in a long time. But yeah, <laughs> good times. Ah, rest in peace, whatever that arcade was called. The the sign just said arcade. I'm sure it had a name. Yeah, there was definitely more of a name, and we could probably find it, but let's just say arcade. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Okay, so that's both of our number twos. Uh, You want to hit me with your number one? Yes, mine is a... uh, it, It may be controversial, because it's not quite the same type of arcade game we've been talking about, but it's also not quite a pinball machine. It's somewhere in between. So this is a game that existed, uh, it was uh, created in 1991, and I only know some of these details from uh, sort of patchwork guessing uh, about which game it was when I was doing my research, but I believe it was William Slugfest. And it was a machine where it it was a baseball game and you would start it up and uh, I only ever played it single player, but I, I've discovered there's a two player version. But when I played, you would uh, a ball would come shooting out and you'd hit the button to try and hit the ball and you wanted to hit it a target at the back and what the targets were would would it would be sort of randomized so if you hit one it would be a home run or if you the next time you play that space might be a triple or you would uh, be caught out and the idea is you want to get the highest score you want to get your players around the the diamond and get as many points as you could and based on the points the arcade machine would actually give you baseball cards like it would spit out real <laughs> baseball cards so again it was the idea of an arcade game that would give you a physical thing to take home and and have that makes this so much uh more like powerful in my memory and so much more important the other fact of it was that uh this was before i knew you uh, i went to another school 
And one of my friends there, his dad had like an arcade museum in their basement. And I wish I appreciated it more at the time. There was ancient games there. There were more modern games. There was all sorts of stuff. But I would always end up going to this one because he would actually stock it with baseball cards. Like this was a private house. And the dad was so into these arcade games, he would buy baseball cards and put them into this machine so that his kids' friends could win baseball cards from it. And I don't think I appreciated that at the time. But the level of dedication is mind-blowing to me uh, as looking back on it. That does sound a little unhealthy. But... <laughs> he also had, like, right beside that, there was a room that was just filled with candy. I don't know what was going on in that house, but it was a kid's paradise, and I wish I had been better friends with him so I could continue going many years later. But at the time, it was all about the baseball, and I found out in researching it that there is a two-player version of it, and there's four buttons on the the side, and you could control the type of pitch. So one person would be pitching, quote-unquote, the balls at the player, and the other the other player would be trying to hit them. And it's amazing. I've never heard of any other game like it. Now I really want to get my hands on this so I can relive these these experiences. Interesting. So, so the baseball setup, that's the pinball part. Like the pinball table version of it is a, is a baseball diamond, and the pinball is the baseball, and the batter's the flippers, I guess. Yeah, but it's just one and, flipper. Okay. Oh, yeah, okay, well, that makes sense. Um, so then when you're saying that it's sort of half a pinball game and half an arcade machine, I'm trying to figure out what's the arcade part. Okay, well, maybe arcade is the wrong word, but it's the idea that you're it's not a pinball machine because there's no bouncing around. You're just aiming at one thing, and and wherever it goes, that's your hit. That's your turn with that ball. It goes right, down right. the gutter. There's no, there's no bumpers. There's no lanes. You're just, like, yeah. from left to right, you have all these different sort of houses for the ball to land in. Yeah, it's like, on. I don't know, seven or eight, and you could hit a single, a double, a triple, a home run, or you could get caught out, and that would be that, and you'd have, you know, three outs, like a real baseball game. So, so not exactly pinball, and not exactly an arcade game. And not exactly baseball. Yeah, yeah. This is a weird thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing some of my own research here so I can keep up with you. And uh, yeah, it'd be very good description. That's exactly what I'm looking at. Uh, but I guess it. I mean, that's it. Seems so limiting to me. Well, there's there's a not really. I, I think it's hard to have a strategy with it. It's not like a fighting game where you just have to find the right buttons to press. It's it's all about timing and sort of guesswork and, and luck. But it's the fact that you amass points and you get actual cards based on the number of points. You get a certain number of cards. And I didn't care about baseball. I still don't care about baseball. But just getting these cards and looking at these players and having something that I could take home with me after this experience made it it elevated it beyond so many of the other arcade games I had or played because I've never really been that good at them and they're designed to suck the money out of you so you die quickly and I would only ever have a limited number of quarters to play these games with so I never got a chance to get really good at any of them. So being able to play this and no matter how good or bad I was I could still have a good time. Like even if I had a really bad game it was just out, out, out I would still get at least one baseball card for the for my effort. And I think that makes it, it, it looking back on it, 
that would be such a good money suck. Like, you know, <laughs> these baseball cards would cost nothing to the companies putting this together. But I would have spent quarter after quarter after quarter just knowing I would get something for that money. There, There is some skill to it, like knowing or being able to tell what kind of pitch it is and then also figuring out where on the flipper to hit to get to the place that you want to or rather not get it in the getting caught out one Mm -hmm. that's Hmm. that's my pitch for number one and i know it's sort of semi-obscure compared to some of these other games that have had a long life and it very much a game that could only exist in an arcade but man what a fun time i had with that game yeah this is uh, like this can only exist in a certain pocket of time like not too early, not too late. There's uh, that is a very unique thing I'm looking at here. Not my number one, clearly, but uh, <laughs> but I mean, if nothing else, I can see how it's unique. Okay, what what is your number one? <laughs> so my number one is basically the exact opposite of yours. It is <laughs> the most mainstream arcade game of all time. I had to put number one on my on my list: Street Fighter II: The World Warrior. Uh, originally released for arcades in 1991. It is the the grandfather of all one versus one 2D fighting games. Uh, this is the arcade game that didn't like didn't introduce a lot of these concepts, but made them mainstream. The I mean, just the concept of playing against another player side by side at the arcade. This is the first time that really happened. Um, the idea of having like special command-based moves, you know, or rather just punch or kick. If you roll the stick a quarter circle and hit punch, they throw a fireball. This pushed that out there. Um, having a bunch of like different playable characters who all played a little bit differently, so there was some strategy to who you picked. This came up with that too. This is the grandfather of basically the, I mean, certainly the modern fighting game genre, but like of every arcade game for like 20 years. I played Street Fighter II, the World Warrior, at the at the Promenade Mall at, uh, at Dufferin and, or Bathurst and Center a lot. And a big part of it, like, it's Street Fighter II. There's maybe one person listening to this podcast who doesn't know Street Fighter at this point. It's, you know, animated characters like based on a bunch of racial stereotypes from all over the world, uh, you know, punching each other and doing lightning kicks and kung fuing each other until one falls down. But this was the this was how you proved yourself when you were eight or nine years old. Like, I, I remember, like, you know, my, like, when I was playing as Ryu, I could always beat Ashish unless he was playing as Chun-Li. And he could always beat Jonah Flynn unless Jonah Flynn was playing as Guile. Like, nobody could beat Jonah Flynn's Guile. But <laughs> Jonah Flynn's Ken was a lot weaker than that. And it, it, it became, like, these mock tournaments uh, you know, I'll beat you and move on to the next round. And which character is this guy going to pick? And the 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 experience of watching Street Fighter from the crowd, waiting for your turn and waiting to see how the other people were playing, was as intense as playing the game itself. Maybe more so because kids you didn't know would show up, and who knows? Like maybe they'd never been to an arcade before, but maybe they were like one of these masters. You know, the people who had it all memorized and worked out. And it was just, it was always so exciting. 
I have that personal nostalgic remembrance of the, that game for sure. But in terms of like an objective list, you know, like our responsibility to make sure we're bringing you the Geek Top 5 audience, the Street Fighter 2 changed the world for stand-up video games. Um, and to this day, they make fighting games based on that exact formula. It has not changed very much. The graphics get better. Uh, maybe there's more to do. Sometimes there are more buttons. But at the end of the day, one guy's on the left, one guy's on the right. They play sort of a sort of a mental chess game of if he's going to throw a fireball, I'm going to jump. And so I'll try to get him with like a low kick unless he blocks. That kind of thing has been a persistent gameplay mode for 30 years. It is... In my opinion, it is hard to say that there's anything that tops that. And I know fighting games, not your thing. But I know even though you have, you don't play these too often, like you see that build, right? Yeah, yeah. From an objective standpoint, it is a, you know, fantastic, important game. But as a, from a personal standpoint, as someone who doesn't really care for those types of fighting games, it doesn't hold the same thing with me like I, and again i never really learned the the buttons so whenever i played street fighter it was, i figured out how to do the electric thing that blanca does and that's all i did that's i just figured out how to do that and that was my move and and that was it and i would eventually get defeated but uh, i just kept button mashing that that one I mean, that's, and that's fair a lot of people played like that and uh, i mean hey a lot of them still had a good time yeah, I, I it also was not a game that my parents liked. Like, my dad has always been like, why don't you play Mario? It's a puzzle game. Oh, just fighting or shooting. That's all these games are. And he would always that, roll his that eyes. That doesn't have bad impressions, <laughs> your dad. <laughs> well, you know, you have some a few things in common. Yeah. Uh, but, he, yeah, he so fighting games were not a, a, a thing in my house. And when I went to play arcade games, I was not going to get many quarters if that's what I was uh, aiming to, to play. So I don't have as much experience with the Street Fighter franchise as you do. And so it didn't just doesn't connect with me the same way. Fair. Fair. Yeah, I don't think there's too much we'll be able to say about it that isn't just part of the public zeitgeist already. But just the like th that that name, I sold. I, it sold a lot of pizza. Come to think of it, there were a lot of arcades, especially street fighters and pizza places when I was growing up, or burger places. That's true. Um, but yeah, that that changed arcades until arcades faced their their big drop in the early aughts, and now they're starting to come back, like in a kind of like a trendy, like it's an arcade and a bar kind of way, but. You're still not getting the same thing. People are just, you know, they're playing fork knife at home. So, anywho, that's, uh, so those are our lists. I, I mean, I guess the big overlap there is the highlight on F-Zero AX, and I wonder if that's just us. I mean, I stand by it. That game is un is just incredible. That is an incredible arcade experience, and I would, I don't have, even if I could find it, I don't have space for it in my apartment. <laughs> um, but otherwise, just a sampling of, of really cool stuff, and 
Yeah, I mean, as much as is, wasn't as much of a duel, I think, since we're coming at it from such different directions, but lots of cool stuff to look at. Um, if there is other stuff that we missed, other games that we haven't thought of, I mean, yeah, we didn't talk Marvel versus Capcom. We also didn't talk a lot of the, like, the classic 80s games, like Star Wars 1983. I'm sure the folks listening here probably have a bunch of their own memories and their own stuff that they think we need to, that they'd think we need to take a look at. And, uh, frankly, we'd love to hear it because there's all kinds of cool stuff to discover if anyone had questions comments concerns other things to point out graham how could they get those to us please email us at geektop5 at gmail.com we're also on facebook facebook.com slash geektop5 we're on twitter at geektop5 and you can always go to geektop5.com and leave a comment on the individual page for every episode we check those we get updates about them and we would gladly respond to you there please also go to your podcatcher of choice and rate and review us those ratings and reviews, by the way, super helpful to us to let us know how the podcast is being listened to and where and how to adjust to make it better for the future. Would really appreciate it. So thank you for sending those in. And even if you can't, just want to say thank you. Thanks for listening. Thanks to the folks who just tune into the show. Thanks to the folks in the community who love to interact. Um, it is a blast doing this with all of y'all. While we're giving out thanks, I uh, always want to remind you, uh, we also want to pass our thanks along to Oliver Wickham, guy behind our theme song he's got a spotify page he's done some pretty cool stuff it's absolutely worth your listen uh so please give that a a look and a hear look and a listen either or either or. Uh, if you can find them 10 well nine really great arcade games we've talked about lots of fun to be had and most of them don't need quarters these days in their you know, modern incarnations so you don't have to worry about draining the wallet too much either way plenty of stuff to keep you busy until we get a chance to do this again until then i'm jesse i'm graham and this has been geek top five and we'll talk to you again next week <laughs>